Turning your scriptures to the book of Philippians. We are all in. Boy, I can't tell you how excited I was after service last Sunday. I heard all in over and over and over from people. And then my daughter was saying all in. My wife was saying all in. My dog was saying all in. All week long. It was just fantastic. And uh, so today we're in the second week of this sermon series. And our title sermon today is All In, Authentic or Ambitious. And I want to read to you, we're going to have this in front of us every single week. This theme, this key theme that I really want you to grasp hold of out of the book of Philippians. And it's from chapter 2, verse 2, Complete my joy by being what? Of the same Having the same, being in full, and of one. Some of you caught on to that. By, by three weeks into this, I think we'll have the whole group participating. Um, so I know it's fall. How many of you love fall? Oh, I love fall. Oh, the weather. The weather's still confused. Past couple days, thought it was still summer. But uh, I plan on sending a certified letter to weather com next year when september 1 hits i want fall weathered through and through godly authenticity by its very nature disregard disregards self to a fault it is unflappable and immune to circumstance or criticism human ambition by its very nature is fickle to a fault Rarely acting for the benefit of others. Its loyalties and attentions are predicated upon condition and results at all costs. At all costs. This morning as we look at this idea of authentic or ambitious, uh, I have the dubious honor to follow up my good friend Gil Medina who preached this passage just three and a half, four, four short weeks ago. And so I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle because he did such a great job, but you'll hear a little bit of of repetition. Let's go before the Lord that He might uh, engage us in this and that it would equip us that our living would be righteous. Let's go before Him. Father God, there is much that Paul gives to the church here in these few short verses prepare our hearts prepare our minds for what we're about to hear help us know what to do with this and let us leave uh, change let there be that which is exact to each person's condition spiritual condition addressed by word and spirit this morning we pray these things according to the name of jesus christ your will and the power of the holy spirit amen well, this morning, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 12 through 18, and I've broken down the, the uh, screen, the on-screen, into the three different segments that we're going to actually look at. So if you pay attention to that, you might want to uh, do some kind of demarcation in your sermon notes as to how we're looking at these. Every screenshot will be pertaining to the three main points we have today. 
So let's look real quickly, starting in verse 12. Paul says this, he's addressing the church at Philippi. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is a challenging passage. Many of you have asked me, well, some of you have asked me more in depth, how can Paul be advocating for those who are preaching from selfish ambition and not love and not authenticity, how can he come along and give an endorsement to that? This morning's passage opens up some challenging questions for us. And really for each of you, and including myself today, there are some deeper questions we will have to ask ourselves. This is dangerous territory. This territory that we are going to look at, we're going to engage with Paul on this morning, will have much to do with giving you some concrete feet so you are not shifting because of the circumstances, good or bad, within the church. Do any of you know an individual has given up on the church because of some charlatan in the pulpit? Or some teacher? Or some leader that they've had conflict with? This morning, that is the subtext of what Paul's talking about. And this is the part where you guys all go, jung, jung, jung. Right? That was my best attempt at a build-up. So this morning, and, and uh, I chose not to click through. Hopefully you were looking at your Bibles. So this morning, all in, Philippi, we're looking at the book of Philippians, and Paul is writing to them from a prison in Rome. Paul has been in this prison now for approximately two years. Interesting, when Paul and his team has been influential, the primary establishment of the church in Asia Minor in Greece, if you wanted to stop him, if you had an agenda to stop the proliferation of who Christ is and the message of the Gospel, what would you do? Lock it up. Would you not? And so that's what's happened to Paul. And what's interesting is when, when a particular voice is locked up or supposedly shut down or is absent, 
there is a void. And what is fascinating about the human condition is that there are always those lurking in the shadows waiting to jump into that void. And so the church at Philippi was upset. They were sideways. Because there were those who, because of Paul's dismay, because of Paul's circumstances, because Paul's been removed out of the field, they've jumped in. And not all of them are good. Not all of them are good. Okay, I'm going to go to, we have a brand new microphone, so I'm going to go to the other contribution was not in vain because we needed we needed an extra one of those so we will we will troubleshoot this week and figure it out now we know it's not that part uh, or there's I'm just going to move on let's get back to the scripture shall we so this morning as we look at what Paul is doing how Paul responds he receives this information through a messenger from the church at Philippi Epaphroditus and he shares that those in Philippi are, are distraught. And they're sharing some information through their messenger saying, Paul, it's falling apart out here. We need to get you out of prison. The gospel has stopped going forward and people, not so good people, are trying to take your place because they see opportunity. This is where we stand. And so Paul continues in this, this tonality of love and appreciation and commitment to the church at Philippi by saying, brothers, I want you to know brothers. This is the Greek word adelphos. And it means a, a, uh, almost like a blood relation. It's a term of, of deeper commitment, of all in. And he's reminding them there's no separation here and, and your concern is not negated. It's not dismissed. Let me help you see what I see. Let me help you understand what's happening on my end. So, my beloved brothers, I can help you put your hearts at ease. And that's really what's happening here. Um, so let's look at authentic or ambitious, shall we? Let's start with the first concept and if you're in uh, your notes, they're in the, the bulletin. You can pull them out. We've got some things to fill in here. We're going to start with the idea of advancing the gospel versus arrested with the gospel. You see, the church of Philippi saw the limitations of the gospel not going forward because their guy, Paul, was arrested. He was ineffective. He's in jail. And therefore, the gospel and the message of Christ is suffering and others are getting in and kind of messing it up. You ever have your, your favorite player? You ever have your favorite um, parent? You ever have your favorite child? Pet? Pastor? Right? And then they get replaced. 
One of the funnest things that happens for pastors is, is when we have to leave somewhere, like I will this week. But I don't trust you enough. I'm coming back before Sunday. Right? Because I had to be gone two weeks ago, and my, my best friend Kelly preached. And, and you should hear all the people that said, oh, he's so much better than you. Why do we have you? Can you not be locked up in Rome, please? No, that's not what happened. But I will tell you, there are pastors who will not let certain individuals, even on their staff, preach because of the very thing we're going to see in Scripture today. Because of selfish ambition, not authenticity, and a lack of focus into those things you truly should trust. It's my privilege that in a couple weeks you get to hear another person from our church, a young buck, step up for the first time in this pulpit. So this morning we're looking at advancing the gospel versus arrested with the gospel. So advancing the gospel, what does that look like? Well, we've already determined and and brought up the point that Paul's in prison. There's a concern that the message of Christ has ceased. Is the gospel and Christ's desire to see that message go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth, is that predicated off of one person? Yes or no? No. And yet so much of the time, do you see what the church is doing here? Paul, you're imprisoned. It's falling apart. If we don't have you, it's all going to fall apart. Is there some foolishness in that thinking? And that's okay. It's not okay to continue to think that direction. That's why Paul gives some good, wise, sound instruction here. But this is where the church is. And so he's empathetic to the concern of the church at Philippi. He greets them as brothers, but he's got to do some course correction for their thinking. And so I want to leave you with this under the first point. Again, advancing the gospel. Does the gospel advance if God's man or woman is taken out of their current situation or their circumstances do not allow them to follow through with the pattern of ministry that they are currently doing? Yes or no? No! May it never be said. And yet so much of the time, whether it's those in ministry, whether it's those leading studies, or whether it's the church in general, we throw up the crisis flag when suddenly somebody is suffering or isn't able to fulfill their current natural state of ministry. Maybe that's the same for you. Maybe the church looks at their participation in the message of Christ and we relegate what we say, what we do, because we're not in the position we used to be in or we think would afford us the opportunity to share Christ. And so think about this. Detours in life afford us unique and uncommon opportunities. This is exactly the message Paul's going to give them. You think I'm arrested and the gospel is arrested with me. No. No, that's not what happens. And, and let me review for you what he says to them. He says, I want you to know, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel. Even though I'm arrested, even though for two years I've been taken off the field, let me tell you what's really happened. When the enemy thought that they would eliminate the power of the gospel, 
His foolhardy efforts and plan and strategy worked against him. Listen to this. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. How often have we been thrown out of our circumstances that we're used to and we say, therefore, because I'm not in my groove, I'm not able to serve Christ or proclaim Christ like I should be able to. There's a deep principle to learn here from Paul. And he's saying, I have every opportunity to advance the gospel with those in a unique situation I never would be able to. Do you understand that I'm able to take, because of this, I'm now in Rome, the center, the hub of leadership. And I'm able to take that message of Christ to the very individuals that put him on the cross, to the entire imperial guard. Tremendous. Paul says the, the gospel's not arrested, it's advancing. And yet the church looks sometimes, or we look, and, and we say our circumstances are disallowing me the opportunity to do what God has made me to do. His purpose, His intent. My encouragement to you is in orange today on every point. Detours in life afford us unique and uncommon opportunities. I had an incredible engagement at one point in time in my life. Before I say that, let me give you this statement. Be all in and you will rejoice in all circumstances. Let me say it again. Be all in and you will rejoice in all circumstances. Paul speaks to this issue very clearly. He wasn't conditionally in. Lord, if you give me the right team, then I can really preach the gospel. Lord, if you give me the right facility, I can really preach the gospel. Lord, if you bring the right amount of people, I can really preach the gospel. Paul had a clear understanding that the power and the message of Christ is available as long as he has breath in his lungs. And wherever God puts him, no matter what his circumstances are, he can share that joy with those around him. And that's why you can say detours in life afford us unique and uncommon opportunities. I had one of those unique opportunities. And I've already mentioned when I was able to go to Israel, and that's probably why it was in my mind as I prepared this illustration. I remember in fourth grade, my teacher reading a book to me. And it was probably not... It would never pass muster these days. There would be a lot of notes that would go to the administration saying, are you trying to scare our children half to death? I was in fourth grade, private Christian school, and the teacher read this book called God's Smuggler. And it was a true story about an individual who started the ministry Open Doors. Have you ever heard of that ministry? His name is Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew smuggled Bibles across the Russian border during the Cold War at the risk of his own life. He did so in a BW bug, which was really the risk to his own life. 
the first, the second time I was in Israel, we were staying at Bethlehem Bible College, and we were in the basement area, and we were eating. We were working out in Hebron at a refugee camp for a week, and a kindly old gentleman was eating dinner with us. And so he's sitting next to me, and we're, we're chatting, and uh, he's got this fairly thick Dutch accent, and... Um, we had a great conversation about the Lord and about all things that are going on in the Holy Land. And he had much more experience about being in the Holy Land than I did. So I was the listener. He was the speaker. And after that, Brother Bashar Awad, who uh, was the administrator, came to me and said, Do you know who you were talking to and eating with? And I said, a kindly elderly gentleman who is a great saint. And he said, yes, you're correct, but that's Brother Andrew. And I was like, what? And I said, you mean like God's smuggler, Brother Andrew? And he goes, uh-huh. But he did it in Arabic, which was, uh-huh. No? Hey, look, if you read it from right to left, it works. Okay? So the next night when we were eating dinner and Brother Andrew sitting next to me, you can imagine some of the other conversations that happened. Towards the end of that meeting, I was, share, I was asking him questions saying, you know, what are your circumstances of, of being here? Why, why are you here? Get ready to be blown away. Remember, the point here was unique circumstances affords us unique opportunities, Right? Paul was able to preach to the imperial guard about Christ. They couldn't get away from him. Brother Andrew was summoned to the West Bank. Brother Andrew, while I was working, running a day camp in Hebron with Palestinians, with my students, and exhausted day after day, Brother Andrew was sitting having one-on-one conversations with Yasser Arafat at Yasser's request about Jesus Christ. The reason that he was arrested and taken out of his normal circumstances is that history says Yasser's wife has a background in faith. And she had the book in the house there in Nablus. And he came across it and he saw God's smuggler. And so he read the book and he was intrigued. And so he said, you know how to get a hold of this man. And that's how it all started. What an amazing, unique circumstance. The gospel will go where Jesus wants it to go. Amen? Message versus the marauder, verses 15 through 17. You see Paul speak about this issue saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, that because I'm here, there are those that have risen up and that that are, are unsavory. There are some who are savory. There are some who are unsavory. And so he addresses this issue. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of what? Out of love. Following in the pattern of Christ, right? And then he, sa- he continues, he says, knowing that I am put here. 
How dare I complain about my circumstances when God has put me into a place where I can speak about Christ. A place where I would never be able to walk in freely. But we don't gravitate that way. We don't think that way. Our circumstances cause us to hold and twist and only see the negative in the situation. And Paul is saying, you're right. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. They're authentic. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the Gospel. So there's some major rivalry going on. Those individuals that have have risen up and continue to carry that banner out of authenticity and love, they're doing so to honor Christ first, but also to carry that torch when there is a need because Paul is no longer on the field. Many of you have stepped up in times where I've had struggles. And you've done so out of love. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. But then he addresses their concern. He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of what? Selfish ambition. No. Certainly that doesn't happen with God's people. The venerable. It'd have much more effect if I had like a white collar and black vestments and, you know, all of that. Is it any secret that many pulpits are filled with those who have selfish ambition? Be very careful. Christ was ambitious, was He not? He had a major work to do. You do not do that unless you're ambitious in the pure sense. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying selfish ambition. And many of you probably have a name or a a face or an organization in your mind of those who have propped themselves up. They have positioned themselves for power out of selfish ambition. What do you do with that? This is me speaking to a problem within the church. This is Paul speaking to a problem. Isn't it interesting this problem goes all the way back to first century and we've not learned and we haven't changed. Because mankind, if for nothing at all, is consistent. And so Paul says, when we're talking about this idea of the message versus the marauder, he's saying, yes, there are those who who do this out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's not just that they want gain. They want to put him down. They want him done and out of the way. Because they know where truly the anointing of God is. And as long as he's in prison, they can thrive. If he gets out of prison, they know it's probably game over for them. It seems like a soap opera, does it not? And yet this is the church. And it's not just the first century church. It's the church. Because the church is filled with those who struggle with the flesh. And we're going to talk in a moment about how that affects the pastorate and church leadership. So, 
the concept I want you to hold on to this morning under point two, the, the messenger versus the marauder. How many of you like the idea that I brought back the word marauder? Yeah, I was really happy about that, that kind of syntax being in, in a point today, marauder. What, didn't they have a radio show, The Masked Marauder? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really, let's get back onto the notes, shall we? You can't take mankind out of the church. But you can be aware of the kind of man in the church. What color is that in? Okay, so remember, orange is, the, is what I want you to write down. I want you to hold on to. I want you to think through. It's the principle that each point you're trying to grab, grab hold of. Ambitious factions rose up to get power with Paul out of the way. So we've seen that. Paul recognizes it, and he's sharing with the Philippians church, what do you do with it? Here's what I want you to do with it, because here's what I do with it. And so understand, false teaching versus selfish gain, there's a difference. Is Paul saying that false teaching is happening? There's a paltry silence upon the congregation suddenly. Yes. Yes. Well done, Patricia. He is not claiming false teaching. Isn't that amazing? Now the whole New Testament, especially Paul, he, he brings out when he sees, when he spots, when he identifies false teaching. Read through the whole book of Titus. That's not what he's doing here. So apparently, those who were doing this out of selfish ambition were proclaiming the right and correct message. Now do we just open our little Pandora's box to include a lot of individuals now who are preaching the correct thing, but there's still selfish ambition. Of course. Of course. But remember, you can't take mankind out of the church. It's impossible. Then the church won't exist. But you can be aware of the kind of man in the church. So there's a difference. We should always call out false teaching. If we're going to speak something wrong about who Christ is and who Christ says he was, we should speak to that and we should rebuke that. Reprove it. Admonish it. But should we silence it if the message is correct? Here's the big jung, jung, jung moment. Paul says no. Paul not only says no, he says he rejoices. Remember the parts where Paul says, love your enemies? Well, that's a... That's a Really beautiful platitude there, Paul, but you don't really understand what that means. This is that. Is it not? I mean, Paul calls a spade a spade. He's saying, yes, they're doing it out of selfish ambition, but implied in the message is, don't stop them. Are you willing to do that to those who want to keep you locked down? If the message is correct, are you willing to do that? In modern evangelicalism, even within our churches, there are those that if, if they get a sense that there is something smelly about leadership, then they want to replace that leadership, even if the message is correct. I'm not saying that we shouldn't deal with those issues. Paul's not saying we shouldn't deal with those issues. 
Remember, the focus here is that the church at Philippi was worried about the truth of Christ going out because Paul was locked up. And he says, hit the reset button, folks. Uh, the gospel is not arrested. It is advancing. It is advancing with a whole different group you can't imagine we would ever have influence with. Oh, but let me address your concern here that there are those who are kind of a little bit loopy, a little bit off, a little bit wonky. Probably not the best in their motives, but they are preaching Christ. So the advancement of the gospel is happening. And to that, I will what? I will rejoice. I will rejoice. The idolization of the pastorate, there's a reason these sharks stepped in when Paul was imprisoned. Let me just put you a little bit to, uh, let's have a little dialogue here. It's going to be quick. It's going to be fast. Uh, what important person, yeah, what, which, I don't know how to say this, who that was of, of certain notoriety passed away this week? Wow. Yeah, they, they did it. They did it. Wow. There are a few times where I feel like an illustration was heaven sent, but that one, that one had to be heaven sent. You're right, Eddie Money passed away. And I've been hearing about it for four days straight. Somebody else passed away this week. His name's Jared Wilson. Jared Wilson was an associate pastor at a mega church in Southern California. He started a nonprofit outreach for mental illness and suicide awareness. I believe it was on Tuesday this week he was officiating a funeral. And I believe it was Suicide Awareness Day. He was officiating a funeral over a Christian woman who had committed suicide and taken her life. That night, Jared Wilson took his life. Now here comes the sharp point of the punji stick. But we said Eddie Money. Now there will be those that hold on to confusion, disillusionment, all of that. But Christ is the answer. In If you read anything about that which Jared spoke to, he knew that answer. There are things that we need to do and approach and be focused on in this area. Because it's proliferating. The enemy is using this area on a wholesale level. And we need to be able to speak to it. But the reason I bring this up is because much of that dialogue has everything to do with, I'd say 90% without exaggeration of what I've read on this situation, is that nobody expects pastors to struggle on that level. Paul shouldn't be struggling with being arrested or being eliminated from his purpose in life and those things. And even in those dark moments where he wasn't able to fulfill, as we would interpret, fulfill his purpose, Paul rejoiced. Paul rejoiced. But there's a dialogue moving around out there right now about Pastors, And so then it's followed up by how to 
how to encourage your pastor, how to pray for your pastor. It's interesting. I love just about anything written by Tom Rainier. And, um, and so he had this week, there was a cross-reference or a mention this week about his list of 11 ways to pray for your pastor. And these kinds of articles tend to surface when there's a, a tragedy to the church community like this. And um, let me just read to you what his 11 things are. Can I? Are you interested? Now, understand this is probably self-serving, right? I'm, I'm your pastor, so now I'm telling you how to pray for me. Can you all just move beyond it? I'm speaking to the narrative of what's happened this week. And I'm connecting those dots to what is happening between Philippi and Paul. And Paul saying, I rejoice in all circumstances. But Tom Rainier says there's 11 things. He's going to give you 11. He's not saying that's conclusive. Just 11 things to pray for your pastor on. One is wisdom. Two is protection. Three is family. Four is strength against critics and bullies. Five is discouragement from comparison. I think that's happening. Between, not, not here. Oh, really? You're struggling with comparing me to people. That's good. Now the authenticity comes out. No, between Philippi and, and, and what's going on in, in the narrative. Of course that's happening. Nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters. Members leaving. Discouragement. From decline. You know 1,500 churches close a month in the United States? Discernment on yes and no. What to say yes to, what to say no to. Financial pressure. I've got that one worked out. All I have to do is make things click and pop. And then people just start giving massively. It was fantastic. I do want to say thank you. I, I was, if you're new here, I, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. It's not listed in your Bible. I've just proclaimed it as such. And so I, I do appreciate those that reached out last week. And, and we were able to start troubleshooting our, our little popping issue. We'll figure it out here one of these days. Maybe Jesus will just come back and we don't have to deal with it. That'd be great. And the last one he says is gospel opportunities. Gospel opportunities. I would say that's a great list, but I naturally came up with my own. Right? So those were Thomas's 11 things to pray for your pastor about. Here's PJ's 11 things to pray about for your pastor. A lifetime card membership at Golden Corral. No, it's not on the list. It's not on the list. I always say that because my wife's not here. She cannot deal with a buffet. Any of you people out there, you germaphobes, just cannot do a buffet. It's in your family, Cindy. It is. So you'll never see me. Apparently, you'll never see me. Well, maybe alone I'll be at Golden Corral. If anybody wants to go with me this afternoon, I've got an opening, okay? Number one, first things first. Can you please pray, not just for this pastor, but for all pastors, that we get first things first? If we do that, everything aligns. Ever have a back that's out of alignment? And that impingement? That's why Thomas Rainier and, and others write these lists. It's because so many that are in ministry, not just pastors, ministry, there are things that get them out of alignment. 
And once you're out of alignment, all you can see is the negative. All you can see is the negative. So first things first, so we're not out of alignment. Second, deep prayer life. If I am in deep prayer life, you can bring it. You can bring it. Satan can bring it all day, all night long. It doesn't matter. Because if I'm in deep prayer life, I know who holds the future, right? I know what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do. I know where my validation comes from. But I have to have a deep prayer life to have that happen. Fresh and powerful relationship with God. So many pastors, especially of small churches, are so busy taking care of things. I've dutifully worn, and with great joy, a uh, project manager's hat for about two months now. Uh, But i got to tell you, I I was here for ten hours yesterday working on the modulars, and we have a visitor to the church that worked for 14 hours yesterday, nonstop. You remember when I said at the beginning of the summer, I gave you the whole thing about pulling together? I'll just share that that individual asked me three times, where's your, where's your help? Where's your support? Well, they're busy. They have lives to live. That's exactly what I told them. That's exactly what I told them. But am I discouraged? No. Why? Because if you get in the Gospels and you see how Jesus interacted with the disciples, you understand you can't take mankind out of the church. Right? And because I have failed to show up in your lives on certain times because of my own schedule, per se, the past two weeks when I've worn the hard hat, the safety vest, whatever it was I was wearing, dirty jeans. I couldn't pastor when I was doing that. So I failed to show up in your life the way I wish I could. Now, can that guilt erode at me, make me feel less than? Do you think the enemy would use those things to make me bitter, make me angry, make me frustrated? Of course he would like to do that. But you know what? I go back to a deeper prayer life. I go back to a deeper prayer life. And that's why I understand these words where Paul says, I rejoice. I rejoice. But I say what I say just to simply share with you that part of the challenge of the pastor is to speak to the realities of life. If Jesus never spoke to the issues of the kingdom, how would anybody know what it would look like to be in the kingdom? Let's keep going. Wisdom and discernment. If I had that, I probably wouldn't have said anything I said over the past minute. Okay. Wise mentors and coaches. That which has helped me tremendously from really going way over the top in my natural processes of how Jeremy acts, how Jeremy thinks. Some of you have had the privilege of experiencing that. Has been mostly because of the Spirit, but it's been because of mentors and coaches as well who have told me when they crashed and burned because of one weak moment. And so I work real hard to put good, solid mentors and coaches in my life 
that are going to say the hard things. Because I want to succeed. I don't want to walk in my own flesh. I don't want to walk in selfish ambition. Trustworthy and courageous friends. Pastors feel lonely in the ministry. I remember a pastor that I served under for three years. And he told me one time, probably a year into serving in that capacity, he said, you will never have friends in the church as a pastor. And I felt incredibly sorry and sad for him that he believed that lie. I consider many of you my friends. As a matter of fact, I have so many friends here. Please don't try to friend me on Facebook. I have too many friends. Don't do it. Ability to focus on the unseen. This Now, this is Jeremy's. This is not Thomas Rainier's. This is Jeremy's. I really believe that, that those verses out of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 19, if I can focus on the unseen of what is really happening, you may not understand what I'm saying. You may not appreciate what I'm saying. But if I'm clear in it, it is being said because I'm focusing on the unseen. And I'm involved in battle with things that you're even unaware of. So it may not make all the sense in the world. Now, if I just say something that's incoherent, that's just me. So, you know, throw a brick at me. But in other areas where there's calculated leadership structure or decision or choices to be made, something that guides me deeply is I'm trying to focus on the unseen, the deeper issues that are going on prayerfully and carefully. Joy. I think if pastors had joy in their life, so much of the challenges of ministry, of family, of financial, all these things Thomas Rainier was advising on, I think that they would be negotiable or negligible. Joy. Check me on my joy, folks. By the way, I can walk around like this. That ain't joy. Most of you know me. And by the way, it's okay for me to have sorrow. And we'll talk about sorrow in just a second. It's okay for me to have sorrow. That doesn't mean my joy is missing. If over a prolonged period I isolate, and you don't see me with energy and investment, and you don't hear God coming through me, then joy is missing. Does that make sense? And that is why Paul says he rejoices even in the midst of these things that don't make any sense. Ability to embrace sorrow without sorrow embracing him. Remember I told you the sorrow comment was coming. The ability to embrace sorrow as a pastor or spiritual leader is paramount. Jesus did it. We all need to learn how to do this. But not let the sorrow embrace us. Now, with individuals like Craig and others who struggle with depression, that, we're talking about something completely different. Please understand me on that. But there's another element here where sorrow, circumstances of life, Paul could have been very sorrowful that he was eliminated from the field. Some of us today may be bitter that God has taken us out of where we were thriving. Maybe God has you here or wherever He has you for a reason. And you're missing the ability to rejoice in the midst of it. I encourage you, embrace the sorrow. When you do that, you nullify its power. And you, you have to depend on the power of Jesus Christ. Next, know their purpose. 
and determined to fulfill it. Ministry leaders need to know their purpose, and they need to be determined to fulfill it. That's different than selfish ambition. Jesus said, I can do nothing apart from whom? The Father. He said, I'm here to do my Father's what? Will. I do nothing outside of that. Now, it may have looked like he was incredibly ambitious. He was, but not selfish ambition. What, Christ, what the Father gave the Son to do was the Father's will, and he pulled no punches in making every effort to accomplish that. By the way, if you're somewhere where you really don't want to be, that seems restrictive, like Paul was in prison, my question to you is, think about how love affects that. The love of God. The love for God, for His people, for His church. And then just try to give yourself an excuse to sit there sorrowful. I don't think you can do it. I truly don't think you can do it. When you think about Jesus coming as the incarnation from heaven, from that situation, and inserting Himself willfully, that was not selfish ambition. That was what? He knew his purpose and he was determined to fulfill it. Serve with humility while still leading. That one I haven't figured out yet. So, let me know. If you've got it figured out, help me. Let's move to the last point. The power and importance of the gospel is preeminent. So all this happens. Paul's left standing there trying to encourage the church at Philippi. And he's saying, I'm fine. The gospel is fine. We are right where we're supposed to be. Don't worry. Stop fretting. And as far as these unsavory characters, God will take care of that. But don't try to shut them down because they're preaching truth. What? He rejoiced. The power and importance of the gospel is preeminent. Let me share these key points and then we'll wrap up today. The gospel transcends the foibles of man. Does anybody know what foibles means? So this is one of those points that's going to get extra traction. You're all going to have to go look it up. And stay off your phones right now. Don't Google it. Don't Siri. Okay. Alexa, what does foibles mean? Oh, good. Nobody's got her plugged in. Just checking. The gospel transcends the foibles of man is exactly what Paul is saying. So if you sit and you feel restricted by your circumstances and you're giving yourself an excuse, please understand Paul says no excuses. No excuses. I will always find a way to proclaim Christ. I will always find a way to fulfill my calling. The gospel is more powerful than our problems. That's what that means. Paul refuses to get into the weeds. I wish more pastors knew how to do this. Right now, I'm on a bender of just not wanting to be involved with all of the little... Pray for me. I'm going up to it this week. I got pastor's conference, and we sit around, and we discuss lofty things, and who's doing what, and we're name-dropping, and we're talking about programs, and we're talking, you know, 
you know, a lot of it comes from the front of the stage. And every once in a while, we have a new, fresh thing that was just simple. And we love on each other. We do it to ourselves. We can't help ourselves. You cannot take mankind out of the church. So even pastors do this. I will experience what I'm preaching this week. And pray for me that I'm not one of those voices. That I practice that humility. Paul refuses to get into the weeds. I wish more Christian leaders knew how to do this. But he rejoices whenever Christ is proclaimed. There are many. Now remember, this is an orange. So the Bible uses red. I didn't feel legitimate in doing that. It's already taken. I'm using orange. It's a point of emphasis. There are many who have horrific personal failures in ministry. It does not mitigate the message of Christ. The man who married Janine and I, she's not here, so I can go ahead and just spill it all out to you guys. Uh, we took whole centuries over here going, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm repping, I'm repping. Be careful what you say. And Cindy, too. Uh, we took one of those infamous breaks, right? I, I chose to do this. Cindy's giving me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Suddenly she's in a Baptist church in the front row. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm, can I get a witness? Come on now. I don't know what happened and what I just channeled, but that was, okay, back to the point. We took a break, and here's why we took the break. <laughs> my wife, not my wife then, but it was at the crux. It was either commit or something else. I, I, don't, I don't know what the other else was. Fail. Yes, it would have been a failure. So, I went to my mentor, my trusted mentor. And actually, I think he called me and said, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Do you not realize what God, the gold gift God has given you? And so we went and we sat down. I remember it was a Pizza Hut. Remember Pizza Hut? So you, you didn't really focus on food. It was a great way to re really get some great conversation. And he said, why are you struggling? I said, Gary, the reason I'm struggling is because I see all these people who go to the altar with the best of intentions, good people. And they end up in divorce. And they end up ruining people's lives. And the swath of destruction that happens from their choices is used by the enemy to disparage the message of Christ. Do you see why I'm telling you this? This is exactly where Paul is in this discussion with the church of Philippi. And Gary looked at me and he said, is that the only reason? And I said, yeah, I thought that was a significant one. I, I don't want to be one of those people. And I came back with this. I said, none of those people went to the altar saying, I plan on failing three years from now, eight years from now, ten years from now, on a cataclysmic level. And Gary said, you can never let Wise words, you can never let the failures of others drive your decisions. They may salt it, but they can't drive your decisions. Fourteen years later, Gary left his wife, and he ended up marrying one of his high school students. Last weekend, when I was at a college reunion, this is now 13 years after that happened. It caused devastation throughout an entire valley of churches. 
And 13 years later, I'm at a college reunion, and I'm having to counsel a guy. 13 years later, him saying how devastated he was by those horrific choices my mentor made. The enemy knows how to distract us from the message of Christ. And I went right back to my friend and I said, does that change who Christ is? No. That's who you focus on. And stop elevating and idolizing the pastorate. Because it's filled with people who get wayward and struggle all the time. Let me finish this morning. But remember, there are many who have personal failures in ministry. It does not mitigate the message of Christ. Amen? This is what Paul is saying. Lastly, just a little point I want to leave you with. Do not limit your calling and service to the Lord because your circumstance because of your circumstances be better than that and here it is be all in and you will rejoice in all circumstances amen let's say this together in a very cult way if you're new to say i have to explain that okay because you never come back you know when you say things back and forth you're either either in a real estate seminar <laughs> or you're in a cult Okay, so I just feel awkward doing this, but I think there's great value to it. So now that I got past my awkwardness, let's just do this together. So Philippians is encouraging us to be all in, all in, all in, all in, all in. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for the word this morning and the power of this message. Let it speak into our lives. If there are those who are disillusioned, by the hypocrisy of those who are spiritual leaders because of their selfish ambition, because of their lack of personal character, because of the evidence in your life. Help us to know how to deal with that so that we can still rejoice like Paul rejoiced and not equate it with the message of Christ. But let the message of Christ and the purity and the power of that always transcend the failures of men. We thank you for Paul's wise words and your words through him this morning for us. To you be all glory. Amen.